thanks for, thanks for being here in the midst of summer. We're five Sundays into Pentecost. Pentecost, you sort of get this feel now. You know, you get, you get the, the, the way the church here is designed, I think you, you all know. You know, you have the first half of the church here, which is the big event for Jesus. Then everything kind of just settles down. But, the, but the, it's almost as if the stories are told again, but you're supposed to, um, if you've heard the big events, then the question is how do the big events work themselves out in your life? So you, you hear all the big stories uh, up through Pentecost and into Trinity, and then uh, the season comes, uh, and, and, and then you're to make sense of that in your own life. So in many ways, that's what we've been chasing and trying to look at Galatians and Paul. First, however, we should pray, Lord God, Heavenly Father, who bound us together in one body through your Holy Spirit. Help us, we pray, to serve one another willingly and forgive one another from our hearts. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, a couple of things to send around. Mark your name on one of these, if you will. And if you got any extra money that you just couldn't possibly know what to do with, put it in here. And it'll go someplace fun. It'll go to Africa, or it'll go to Russia, or it'll go to England. I'm not sure exactly where it goes, but it doesn't really matter. Um, you sort of do what you can do, and uh, life carries on. Okay, so, um, you know, we've been scooching back and forth between Galatians and James. We'll probably go, you know, we'll probably go here till the middle of August, and then we'll take a few weeks off and figure something else out. But you can, uh, you know, this, this back and forth, and I'm hoping it's not too complicated for you, um, in the sense that we lose you or uh, don't, don't sort of pay attention. Uh, you know, the whole point from the beginning was to try to try to bind the Christian life into one, to see it as one element and not to see it divided, uh, and to see it in the best possible way, to see that Christ uh, can't be separated from his work, and Christ in you then uh, can't be separated from the work he does through you. And if you talk that way, it all but eliminates any... Uh, possibility. Well, it completely el eliminates the possibility that you could take credit for any works uh, done through you or that they could be your works or any good to you or any meritorious sort of thing. Instead, it's the joy of being used in the kingdom of God. So even in the gospel today, the Lord, uh, he, he, he gathers up some people and he moves on to the next thing. So we always want to be uh, a part of that. Um... We were a thousand years ago before we had a lot of voters meetings. Um, we had a little bit in James 4. Then Pastor Jess did a great job again with Galatians, kind of the overview uh, last week. And then we'll scooch back into James 4 and go a little bit farther. So the text, um, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So. You know, Luther knew that too. Simul used to set the cotter. We've always got something going on there. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you can hear, you can hear Jesus, you know, in the background. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount kind of talk. Um, ask and it'll be given you. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. You can hear Jesus there too whatever you ask in my name, which means you shouldn't be asking ever for anything outside the name of God. You have and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And already now we're starting to see this back and forth between you and Jesus. So, you know, there's what Jesus wants for you and there's what you want for you. Um, when you want what Jesus wants for you, all is well. When you want what you want, 
for you. That's the definition of the very first sin. That's what went wrong in Eden. That Adam and Eve wanted what they wanted more than what God wanted. They thought they would be better gods than God. So, you, you know, there's nothing sort of new here, but it is all in practice. You adulterous people, and uh, just I'm just sort of giving you a few things, and then we'll go back, but, you know, you might hear that as, you know, everybody's committing adultery, sleeping with their next-door neighbor. Yeah, maybe, but what's a worse adultery than that? Got an idea? The worst adultery is when the bride of Christ gives up on Christ. So there's another way to think about this. It just doesn't mean, you know, sort of, sort of, um, kind of sleeping with your next-door neighbor. It has something more to do with you're the bride of Christ and you're not acting like the bride of Christ anymore, which is why he, he sort of pins this adultery thing on you. Do you not know that friendship with the world, see, there it is, you, you, you love the world more, is enmity with God? Uh, you remember now Genesis 3, I'll put enmity between me and the woman. Remember, these words are coming back. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So you can't have it both ways. Again, Jesus, you can't serve two masters. You see, how, you see how, how just there's so many. He's just saying what Jesus always says. He just keeps saying it. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose, as Scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? Um, which is an odd way to think about God, but it's a kind of a nice way that he always wants you back. He yearns jealously for you. He wants you back in Eden. He wants what he created. But he gives more grace. And see, the gospel is always more. He always gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we'll have to give those biblical definitions as we go forward. So that's a task that we have in front of us. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And that is, you know, a difficult thing for us to hear. Uh, we always have trouble uh, submitting ourselves to anything. And, and uh, you know, that's, again, in the, that always seems to cause a little consternation, uh, you know, in the wedding vows. Um, uh, submit yourselves somehow. So we need to talk about what that means. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. We need to talk about what that means. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Now you have to keep that from being a transaction. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Can you really do that? Are you any good at that? Be wretched and mourn and weep. I thought, as Jesus said, you know, I've come that you might have joy and have it abundantly, so we need to sort through that. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and finding some hopefulness then. He'll lift you up. He'll exalt you. Okay? So there's a lot to do there in 11 verses. Um, let me see if I can just take you where I think we've been. I mean, it's been kind of a long time, but, you know, it's... Uh, some, at some point it's been difficult, so let's see if we can, we can figure this out. So just, just try this, okay? Christ comes to us as God made flesh, inseparably divine and human, to have his whole creation home again, to draw us back to Eden. So you can talk about the church however you want to talk about it, but that's one way of talking about it. He wants Eden. He wants you back in Eden, which is a delightful way uh, to think about where you're off to even in the midst of the challenges of life. And it's a great way to think about, I hope, uh, your friends and family who've gone forward in the faith, I hope in the liturgy when you hear with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, I hope you start to think about all the people you loved who went to heaven before you. Because that's what that prayer is meant to do. It's meant to say to you, they're back in Eden and they're, wait they're waiting for you. With angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Very comforting. Also, where it says, 
gather us from the ends of the earth. You know, the, the, the Eucharistic prayer, the prayer just before the Eucharist says, gather us from the ends of the earth. What does that mean? It means that God's always reaching out and trying to have his people back. He wants everybody back. You know, the goal, if I could tell you one goal as pastor, you know, my goal would be that we would give the Eucharist to every last person on earth. Or be at the Eucharist with every last person on earth. That's what Eden will be. Eden will be this, this, this long Eucharist. So uh, that's, what, that's what Revelation is all about. But Revelation, uh, you know, people think it's about a lot of things. What it's really about is the liturgy going on in heaven while the earth is destroyed and the new Eden takes form. That's what's going on. That's why they're dressed. That's why they're before the throne. That's why there's talk about the Lamb. Uh, you know, there's, it's just, it's just this, it's one way to talk about the church is having everybody come home. So you're always looking for the next person. You're always looking for the new person. You're always looking for how someone else can enjoy what you enjoy here. And you're always then looking to create an environment that is winsome and irresistible. That was the whole year we spent on beauty. You're always trying to create a place where people say, that's what I want. Still okay? Make sense? Because sometimes we don't always agree on or we have different ideas about what the church should be. The church is always and ever about having everybody home. That's the point. That's why Jesus is on the move in the Gospels all during Pentecost. He's going out to bring people home. Or, uh, you know, or kind of carrying on. Christ does this by making wrongs right. You, you really, it, you'll, you'll do better as a witness and it'll be more comfort to yourself if you can begin to talk very simply about what Jesus does. You know, there are ways you can talk in your own life. I was struck in rereading the early chapters of Mark how, how the, the paralytic guy actually walks away without his sins. He gets a double dose. He gets to walk, but he also gets to walk away without his sins. Jesus says, take up your mat and go home. Boom. It's not just that he gets to go home to where he sleeps at night. He gets to go home to Eden. That's brilliant stuff. So what does Jesus do? He makes wrongs right. He forgives sins. He takes away your sins. And they can't hurt you unless you take them back. He takes them away this morning at the Eucharist. He takes your sins away. Don't try to take them back before you leave. Let him have every last one of them. See? He makes wrong things right. Or he gives and he joins himself his crucified and resurrected self to us in word and sacrament. So that means a couple of things. It means, it means you're utterly safe. You know, come what may, I'm in God's hands because Christ has joined himself to me. And it also means, it tells you how you treat the person sitting next to you, the person on either side of you, the person behind you, the person in front of you. When you look at them, the first, uh, in the church, when you look at people, the first thing you see is Christ. You know, it's why at the elevation or the Eucharist, I can't see you, but I see you through the host. You can't see my face either. The, the host goes to my face. You can't see me. I can't see you. But I know you're there, and my perspective toward you is through the host. And your perspective toward me is through the host. I see you through Christ. You see me through Christ. See, everything that happens up there has a meaning. There's a reason why it gets elevated to that point. I can't see you, but I know you're there. And I know my, the only proper way to see you is through Christ. And the only proper way for you to see me is through Christ. Christ has joined himself to me. At the Eucharist, in my baptism, uh, he loves me, he loves you. And so that's great consolation. He's always listening. And it's great consolation for us as a community, how we care for each other, how we speak to each other, love each other. 
So he joins himself, his crucified and resurrected self, just in word and sacrament, and he forgives and hallows us for his use, not for our use. So immediately when you're baptized, immediately your eyes go up and out toward the next thing that the Lord would like you to do. You're not your own, you're bought with a price, glorify God in your body. See? So this is, this is a different kind of world. Out there, the world is all about making sure you survive. In here, the world is all about making sure Christ survives. Completely different. And, and from the beginning of James, it says, from the beginning of this chapter in James, it says, those two things are at enmity with each other. They rub against each other. Just like in the gospel for today, there, there's this rub between the new kingdom and the old kingdom. And at some point, it's either Jesus or anti-Jesus, and uh, you, you end up on one side or the other. And so, you know, beyond that is to not just make sure you're on the line that, you know, you can't feel the, the heat of hell. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is all about being Christ to each other, okay? So um, Christ's own good use of us is found in his bidding, follow me. So when people don't know what to do, you know, it's fairly, it's fairly simple what, 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 what you do as a Christian. You just do what Jesus did. You say what Jesus said, and you, you do what he does. You're merciful, you're kind, um, you're patient, you're all the things that God asks you to be, obviously imperfectly. You know, the, the, one of the hard things is, one of the hard things about living in Wheaton is there's this veneer of perfection. You know, as if everybody's A-OK. -okay. Um, so I don't know if you've ever worked with poor people or worked in poor neighborhoods, but that veneer doesn't exist there quite so much. Everybody knows they're in trouble. They don't have jobs, they don't have food, people are popping shots up in the night. Watch the news at night. In Chicago news, that, what a depressing thing. Almost every day a kid gets shot in Chicago. Horrible. That's not your problem. You all have a different problem, as do I. We live here. And nobody's doing any of that, so there's this illusion that everything is okay. Everything's not okay. We sin with every good work, right? So we're in this constant need of forgiveness. Um, and, and, and the only way we can do that is if we don't follow ourselves, we follow Christ. So in following, the good news of justification is played out in sanctification. Or being forgiven in Christ prompts us to live in forgiveness. So when I look at you and when you look at me, you shouldn't look at me and expect me to be perfect. And I, I cannot look at you and expect you to be perfect. What I desperately want for you is to be forgiven and have a fresh start every day. And that's what you should desperately want, want uh, for me as well. So we live in the knowledge that we, you know, we sin all the time. We sin with every good work. The best things we do in our life need to be forgiven. Um, the way you love your kids, that, you know, you love them to death, that still needs to be forgiven. The way you treat your spouse, it still needs to be forgiven. The way you do your job, that needs to, everything you touch, everything you do, every relationship, we always just think that, you know, if we, if we, if we sort of pop off at somebody or we sort of bloody their nose, then we need to repent, maybe, if we can still up the courage. Um, it's the first of the 95 theses. The Christian's life is meant to be utter repentance. That's the first thing Luther said. I mean, that's kind of standard Lutheran fare. So just, just kind of recalibrate now, because um, you know, one of the questions about this is how James can be so hard on these folks and still you know, remain their bishop, you know, remain their pastor. How can he do that? Well, part of it is because they don't have this false illusion of perfection. You know, he can just say, gosh, when you don't follow Jesus, it's, it's like committing adultery. You're the bride of Christ. 
And when you don't speak as Jesus speaks, when you don't act as Jesus acts, that is anti-Christ. That breaks your marriage vows. It shatters what happened at your baptism. It denies what's given to you at the Eucharist. And all that can be forgiven by the way. So, sort of, sort of stick in there. But um, incorporation, our incorporation into Christ, shows us an ongoing participation. Okay, big breath. How you doing so far? That's just all stuff we've been doing forever. You still okay? Okay. Because it gets a little, it gets a little tougher as we go. Uh, or try this: in our yes or in our thank you to Christ, follow me. He lets us play. And we get to do things, not what we've got to do. One of the things you can always sense when things go badly, people will switch from what you get to do from what I've got to do. In your giving, for example, I've got to give this instead of I get to play along. Or in doing kindness to each other, oh, this is what we've got to do. Yeah, sometimes you have to force yourself to do things because it's difficult to be generous. It's difficult to be mercy, merciful sometimes. And my guess is you can all feel it. My guess is you can kind of feel the... Um, You can sort of feel the rhythm of how your Christian life ebbs and flows. Uh, some days it just comes easily to, easy to be merciful. Some days you have to kind of force yourself to it. That's all right. You know, force yourself to it. That's the way you beat down the old Adam. But it's always this distinction between what we get to do. If it's what you get to do, if it's a privilege to be in the kingdom of God, if it's a privilege to speak the truth, if it's a privilege to love, it's a, if it's a privilege to be patient, not that we can always do it, that we recognize it as a gift and a privilege. This is the new life. This is the new Eden. And it's, it's a privilege that we get to uh, get a little taste of that here with each other. Even when it doesn't come naturally, it doesn't come naturally. You know, naturally, but the church is all about pounding down, slaying, killing, murdering your natural impulses and letting the impulse of Christ work through you. That's why the catechism says you wake up every morning and drown your old animal. And the reason, part of the reason we've done Galatians and James next to each other is to keep you from taking credit for that. Galatians, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. But also to show you in real time what it looks like, because sometimes we can just sort of dance around this in kind of a theoretical way. Or sometimes we actually don't know what's right and what's wrong. We kind of have this generic sense of right and wrong, or we have, we have a generic sense of what's truth and lie, we have a, a generic sense of what's Christian and not Christian, but that's not very helpful because if we make up our own definitions and don't use Christ's definitions, then we're just kind of Greek moralists. We're good Greek philosophers, you know. We're good. We're good. Um, we're good Roman senators, but we're not yet Christians. So we kind of have to work at that um, and understand what Christ speaks about in the Scriptures. Or try this, Christ for us and in us and through us is the Christian life. Faith and works can't be split for us. So, you know, and I know we've had several discussions over the weeks about whether works are necessary, whether they're not necessary, whether they save, whether they don't save, whether they merit, they don't merit, how you do them, who they belong to, all of that. Um, kind of at the end of the day, if you can't split Jesus in half and you're baptized into Christ and still become little Christ, then you can't split you and your works either. And Christ expects them from you in a gospel sort of way, the way in the, in the, in the reading from St. Mark today when he says to the disciples, come on, let's go to another place. Um, 
they just get up and follow him. Now, Pastor, you know, that's one of the good things about being in the sacristy is you get sort of ongoing commentary about what happened in the morning. So uh, and we tend to rewrite each other's sermons in the breaks between, and that's always kind of good because people are, are it's just good. It's good to be around smart guys and uh, to get better. So, so Pastor Nelson's parting comment as he went downstairs because he had the guy says, you know, what about Jesus? He, he, he's so in the way of the gospel he couldn't help himself. You see, as he goes out of town, it says, he's so surprised he can't do any good works there. And then there's that little throwaway line where he says, except that he could just do a few. Now, why is that? He just can't, he, as Pastor Nelson said, he just can't help himself. So we need to talk, to talk about that. But there is something about him. He just can't, you know, it just comes out of him naturally. He just can't help himself. He's just got to do some, even on the way out of town, you know, there's the odd touch and feel. It's, it's so nice. That's how the church is supposed to be. So, um, and you should see yourself as, uh, well, this got a little bit thick, didn't it? He's the chief and full good work. I'll stick by that. The atoning manifestation of the Holy Trinity's paracritic love for us. That's probably not so clear. Okay, remember perichoresis is the dance between the Trinity? That's, that's the ancient word for how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. They said, well, they just sort of intertwine like your body and your soul. And you, you can't really understand that. But actually, the word is the word for a dance, which is a much better metaphor. How do they, how do they, do? They, they dance together. It's in time. It's in rhythm. They're companions, and yet they're individuals. They all move toward the same thing, and yet they each contribute their own thing. You see how that is? Each of you are an individual, and you're pulled into this, and you get to contribute your own thing, whatever it is that, that you bring. There's, there's one person in all the world like you. When you're, when you're born, there's nobody else like you. There'll never be another you. So you have this unique contribution to the kingdom of God. And what will that be like? You're drawn into that forever, you see. Um, or this, the Christian life only becomes clear when it's all Christ all the time and it's all lived out as a natural consequence. And by that, I don't mean force. I just mean it's just the next thing that happens of Christ joining himself to us as a bit of heaven on earth now toward heaven in heaven then. So the church should be, I mean, I've said this to you from the first day I was here, people should be crawling over broken glass to get to the church. Why is that? Because you and I should live the kind of lives that when people see it, they can't help but want it. And that's why it's so important. I mean, one of the reasons it's so important for, for, for us to be kind to each other is just out of sheer witness. So people say, I want to be part of that. You've probably had this where you've, you know, maybe your kids have had friends or um, you know, maybe you've had acquaintances come in. Or, and sometimes people, you, have you had this where people are kind of drawn to your family? Because they see in your family something that they don't get at home or they don't get somewhere else. Or perhaps you've had a friendship with somebody and they another person sees that friendship and they've never experienced that and they, they want that, they feel that, they understand that there's some sort of thing going on there which they've never touched. Or sometimes in marriages, you know, there'll be people who are, who are I can think of people who have brilliant marriages. And you, you, you should just sort of say, I, I just, I want my marriage to be like that or I want to be father to my kids like that or I want to grow up to be like that or I want to touch part of that or I want to be included in that. That's how the church is meant to be. And anything less than that is anti-Christ. Because that that, that, that's who Christ is. The walls are false. The walls are a false impediment. 
You know, the walls ratchet themselves out and gather up the next person and the next and the next. That's why Jesus is on the move when he explains what the kingdom of God is. So you're always thinking about how the gift you're given plays itself out in the life you live. And I'm not talking about, you know, so that you can be saved and not go to hell. I'm talking about because that's what Christ, who's taken you to himself, asks of you. Hey, you might be good at this. Why don't you try this? You'd be good at this. Try, you know, that's what he's trying to do. So part of James is, you know, the recognition of that. We got that early. You know, everything good comes down from the Father of lights, every good gift, every love. But now also, uh, we've had some fairly harsh kind of, just as we had from Paul last week, you know. I opposed him to his face. Why? Because he said something to Peter, of all people, that was anti-Christ. I opposed him to his face. Okay, you know, you know, we're kind of long on opposing people to their face sometimes, and sometimes without as much sound as we maybe should have underneath us. So um, I just encourage you to, you know, to stick with the text. And uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Okay? Still okay? All that's kind of preamble. Just kind of, that's where we've been the whole last year. Are you really okay with that, or are you just being polite? Are you thinking about something else? Fireworks, whatever. You can even sleep if you like, as long as you feel restful. And then other people will say, you know, 1015 is a good time to have a nap at St. John's. Good time. Very calm there. You know, there's just this buzz in the background. All right, so um, Galatians 3, I mean, this is, uh, this is kind, of, uh, kind of a tough chapter. But um, just notice a couple things, and this kind of goes with the sermons today. So I'm at point two on your page that's numbered 40, because I don't know why, because we start the numbering. But um, remember that order and peace is the way of creation. And this is, this is very important because, you know, much of chapter three was about, hey, when your tongue gets loose, then order and peace get shattered. Isn't it, don't you find it fascinating that the way the Lord created order and peace was to speak, let there be light, and the way that we undo order and peace is to speak? That, isn't that fascinating? See, every sin, every heresy, every demonic thing, every antichrist action, it doesn't, have to be, it doesn't have to be the exact opposite. It can just be off 10 or 15 degrees of, of what's true. So, so uh, it's fascinating that, that the Lord, remember he comes and it's tohu wabohu, it says in the Hebrew formless and void. It's all swirling and chaotic, and God to, the, to that speaks in the same way, of course, that he speaks to you. I forgive you all your sins, or this is my body, or I baptize you in the name of. See, he speaks order and peace into the world, and if we, when we don't align our words with his words, then we speak anti-peace and anti-order. We speak chaos. We speak fracture. You know, we speak, speak withering and death. We don't speak sort of uh, you know, growth and, and life. We, we speak, you know, we speak, we speak shattering kind of words instead of words that, that draw everything together. So just, just sort of mark that order and peace is the way of creation. And you remember he speaks eight times, which is fascinating. And he turns the void into the glorious and peaceful place called Eden. So chaos and evil is the way of anti-creation. Remember? So he speaks, let there be, and then the devil speaks back. Did he, did he really say? Did you see how it questions the words? The words give order and peace. 
the anti-words bring chaos and destruction. That's why it's so important when you speak to actually know what you're saying. Don't, don't you find it fascinating as well that when the Lord speaks, the first thing he speaks is light? So everything gets spoken into the light. And then when Satan speaks, it speaks into the darkness. Do you see that? Remember, that was already in the early part of James. He's the father of lies. So you begin, you begin to look for the markers of what the kingdom of God looks like, what the church looks like. The church looks like order. The church looks like peace. The church looks like light. When you spot disorder, frenzy, chaos, darkness, then you know that the demonic is at work, that the Antichrist is at work. And that's what he's trying to save this little congregation from. Okay? So order and peace, you know, ultimately are incarnate in Christ. Christ is peace with a big P. Christ is order with a big O. Christ is way, truth, light. Um, I was disappointed when I picked up the Bible this week to reread those passages and saw they're no longer capitalized. I understand it's a group, it's a, it's an editor's choice, but uh, there's something about Jesus being truth, big P, that just makes the world go round a little better. And um, here's the thing you have to remember: chaos and evil, however powerful and satisfying, successful they they may be, you know, in the short term. In the short term, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with the next two texts for the next Sunday. Very interesting. The next two texts for the Sunday contrast two feasts. Next week in the Gospel is the Feast of Herod, which is utter frenzy, where John's head is lopped off and served up on a platter. He's the main dish. Okay? And then the Sunday after that is the feeding of the 5,000. It goes no, is no accident that the selectionary puts those two texts next to each other after the text we've already had. So in Mark's Gospel you have this uh, here's what Jesus looks like. He's very busy and very successful. Here's all the good things he does. He keeps bringing order and peace, order and peace, order and peace, all around in his chaos, order and peace. And then next week, and then the next week, you sort of have, and you can't miss the Eucharistic overtones of these, you have two feasts. One, a very worldly feast, where murder is on the menu. And the next one, a very heavenly feast, where 5,000 are fed, and it's all toward the Eucharist. This Jesus who who will feed you like you were fed in Eden. You see how that all plays out? Isn't that fascinating? So Jesus has always given the good stuff. And you should, in your own life and in your collective life in the church, you're always looking for things that are ordered and calm and peaceful and in the light, and you're avoiding things that are frenzied and dark and secret. You're always avoiding those things. Those are things that, that are, have been touched by the demonic. They will do you and if you think that the church can't be done in that way, just read James. I mean, he's the bishop, and he's spider. He's their pastor, and he says, this is what it is. Be very careful with this. So however satisfying it may be to win, or be successful, or be on top, or get your way, however, however that's always temporary if it's not in the way of Christ. And ultimately, it, um, it'll destroy you. That's what it means uh, to be possessed. I'm trying to remember what 3.16 says. Um, yeah. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. That's James 3.16. He says, if you let things loose, 
If you let things loose among you, what will happen is things sort of devolve to anti-Eden and ultimately faith gets sort of crushed down. So, um, and I think I've said this already, in considering this, please think clearly and carefully. I was actually comforted by James 3, if you can, if you can hear this in a comforting way. James 3, 2, where it says, for we all make mistakes. Is that how your text says it? Do you have a Bible out? It, this, mine is just, this is an old RSV that I've been using forever, but for we all make mistakes. In some ways, that's such a comforting thing because um, I can't bear to be perfect. One of the hardest things you can do, you know, you know this if you've had kids, you want to destroy your kids, demand that they be perfect. You want to destroy your marriage, demand, demand your spouse is perfect. You want to destroy your best friends, the people in your congregation, the people who work for you, the people you work for, demand that they be perfect. That will, dis- that will destroy. Because what you're demanding of them is to break the first commandment. When you demand that somebody else be perfect, you demand that they be God. You demand divinity from humans, and no human being can bear that. So in some ways, you should hear this as kind of a helpful phrase. We all make mistakes. We all sin. And we're all gladly forgiven. Jesus leaves town today, but as Nelson says, he can't help but do a good work on his way out the door. It's fascinating stuff. He just can't help being the gospel to people. So you can't demand perfection of me, and I can't demand perfection of you. To do that is a cruel, cruel thing. It is to demand that somebody else be Christ, and that is actually to sort of put an end to people. Nobody can bear that kind of strain. And he's set all of this up now because the next thing he's going to do is say, and here's how it's gone wrong for you, and here's the way out. And if you can understand this from James, it's great pastoral care because the best pastoral care is always specific. It's always naming specifically. You never say to people, oh, you're mean, or you don't love, or you're so cruel. You actually say, you're cruel because you did this at this time at this place. See? I mean, we all know that we're all mean. We're all, we, you know, we all know we, we make mistakes. We all know we sin. We all know we don't love enough. We all know that we're mean-spirited in some way. That's not the point. The point is that you name particular things so you can have particular solution and particular resolution and reconciliation with people. The best law and gospel is always specific. That's exactly what James does here. It's what, Pe- it's what Paul did with Peter last week. He didn't just say to Peter, man, you're a hothead. What he said is, you know what? When you went north and you sat down with Gentiles and you ate and drank with them, Gentile food with Gentile company, and then you came back to Jerusalem and you acted like that never happened. Wow, that's a, that's, a, that's a startling hypocrisy. And by the way, it doesn't fit with the gospel because everybody's in now and nobody's out. See how, see, see how specific he was? It would, that wouldn't help him just to say, Peter, you're just not getting it right. Or Peter, you always just sort of pop off. It doesn't help. What helps is when you have specific things now, ordered in the light, non-chaotic, calmly, so that people can be repentant and people can be forgiven. Just to sort of say, hey, something's going wrong. That's not the way of the gospel. The way of the gospel is to say, it went wrong at this place and time with this person in this way, and that's not the way we live with each other, and by the way, I'm sorry, and let's, let's just be forgiven, which is exactly what James does. And all that, and I'm out of time, and that was just the introduction. How are you doing? You got a question about anything?
in some ways, I'm not saying anything I haven't said to you before, but um, there it is, right there in front of you in James. So here's what I would suggest to you. Um, try to read the next, just the next 11 verses in that way. And try to read the next 11 verses as pastoral care, or as this is how a church should work, or this is what Christians do. And try to read it with an overarching sense of the gospel, an overarching sense of the kingdom of God, an overarching sense of love, an overarching sense of restoration. He's not trying to say, he's not saying, James is not saying, wow, you're so bad, this can never get better. Or wow, you're so bad, you're punished, and I can't, I can't help you. What he's saying is, is, wow, you're Christian, and from time to time, you get off the rails. So here's where you're off the rails, to which they say, really? I never knew that. And then he says, and that's all right because the Lord still loves us. We still belong to him. And, um, you know, adultery can be forgiven and sins can be uh, undone. And, and um, you know, uh, right wrongs can be made right. It's a very hopeful kind of thing. But first, the specificity of it. Um, and that's always the way of Jesus. You're so quiet. Yes, please, Mr. Mack. Just know you're so loud. I appreciate that. Thank you. Great question. Did you get that? So with the, with the thing about we all make mistakes and, and sort of the drive to perfection, and that's actually, that's actually a, a doubly important question in a room full of very successful people who are pretty driven and probably get job reviews and they all want to you know, get to the next, right? It's a, and, but it's also, it's also a good question for people who say, I really want to do the best I can for Christ in the church and my next door neighbor, right? So the question is, how do you do that? Um, the answer is always the same. I remember the first time I heard this answer and then I was sure that it would be wrong and then for 30 years it's been right. So here's the answer. Talk about Jesus and not about you and not about me. So rephrase the question in a way that you can have Jesus do the verb. So the question would be, if I were on the outside looking at you, I would say, what particular skills is Christ and abilities has Christ given you that he's given nobody else? Because there's one Andy, there's just one. So what has he given you he put this stuff into you. Now, what can he get out of you that he can't get out of, you know, Ed or Wolline? You know, that he can't. So there's one set of things he can get out of you like he can get out nobody else. And you know what? And, and then beyond this, just to be real honest, like in this congregation where people have a range of talents, normally people in this congregation can do four or five things well. You could have been, you know, a great mayor, a great fireman. You could have been, you know, you could have been a computer guy. You could have been, you can do, a do you know, You've got all these things. So then part of the question is where can you best focus, you best, where can your talents best be focused? But ask the question about where can Christ have the best use of me? And then the other thing is if you actually get a little bit of help from people outside you, at least in the Christ category. So you talk to your friends, you talk to your pastor, you talk to your wife, and you say, here's a couple of possibilities, but I, there's only 24 hours of my day because that's how the Lord spoke it into existence. So where do you think I can have the most impact? And that takes some... Uh, take some trust to talk to other people, but you let other people help you. That's partly what your pastors are good for, your elders are good for, and friends around. But you, you think about that carefully. So when you think about it as how can Christ get the most he possibly can out of me, that's a very different question. It seems the same. It's a very different question than how can I do my best. 
Because it's what he gave you the gift. And so he knows what he put into you. He knows what he can get out of you. And what he's saying to you is, I think I could get this out of you. So, and that, that doesn't, it's not like, it's not like, it's not always bullet points you can chalk on a board. Sometimes it's you do this for a while, then you do this for a while, and then you, you kind of over here. And then guess what? You discovered that there's something over here you could do. You're not only good, you know, off the tee, but out of the sand, you're not too bad either. So, you know, you kind of move around and see what happens. Just try that. If you can get Christ to do all the verbs, it'll come back to you. Go ahead. This has interesting implications for... Right, it does. For, yeah, it has implications. Yeah, it does. Well, abortion is all its own issue, but it is, it's a strikingly large issue because we don't ask the question about who does Christ think that is. We normally ask the question about who do we think that is. Implication for housekeeping practices? Like, are you talking about your house? Uh, yes, or I'm talking about my <coughs> Well, there are two options here. You can, well, there's three. You can clean, your husband can clean, or you can hire the people who put that flyer in my box yesterday. <laughs> so, uh, okay. but I would just suggest to you, well, see, and I'm, here's the thing now, this, this kind of goes to different, I have learned over the course of my life to live with people who are disordered. But I've also, I've also discovered that there's, um, there's a certain joy in some disordered people. I don't know if you're ordered or ordered, but ordered or disordered. So I've no, I've no, I know nothing about you in that way. But here's what I, what I've discovered on my own, is that there are, there's a certain joy, in 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 some disordered people I know, as in marveling at the next thing that just happened to pop up in front of them and take their attention, and joy is always a mark of the gospel. So that's okay. There's, there, there's a, we have to be careful about, and this is what's always really important to know what the terms mean. So it's not just that, you know, you pick up your socks and somebody else doesn't. It's, a, it's, it's not like that. It's like one person skulks around in the darkness and says a lot of things that if they were brought to life would be known to be lies, and somebody else, um, you know, tells everything in the light. Now, you can tell things in the light from A to Z, or you can kind of randomly put them out, but they're still both in the light. So, so shape the conversation in a different way. It's not about picking up your socks, although I tell my kids it is. Uh, but it is. I do remind my kids that, you know, order was the first thing the Lord did. So maybe a little more order might be helpful. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, it's about joy and light. Hold, hold the virtues. So hold, just describe what Eden looks like. Describe what Eden looks like. And then sort of stick with that. And then also gives people kind of a range. You know, we're all sort of different. And we, we, we sort of get... Some people can get to A to B, you know. I mean, they go from here to New York through Los Angeles. That's okay. Um, you know, some people go through Miami. Some people take a direct flight. As long as they all are in the way of joy and light, it's going to be okay. We kind of have to learn that about each other. That's very different from the first question you asked, which was a moral question, right? And you have to sort those. Or a kingdom question, yeah. That's a better way to talk, actually. Who knows what could be going on down there? Who knows, actually? This was the morning that Pastor Nelson drank baby oil as a children's sermon for the kids downstairs. We hope it goes well for him. <laughs> all, I mean, his last, his last words were to me were, if I drink baby oil, do you think that's going to be okay for me? <laughs> Order and disorder. That's all I can think about. So, but hey, they're remembering what they're getting, though. 
Don't they remember what they're getting? So. All right, let's pray and let's go. Read, uh, read a little from James chapter 4 next week. We'll see what happens. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. See you next week. Have fun.